So glad to have everybody back on. Um, this is the third episode of season two of Lawrence Harvey's Cyber Sit Down podcast. Every month, I, alongside my colleagues, we speak with senior security leaders within the industry, discuss market trends, different things going on that we should be aware of. Um, and today, we are privileged to have Larry Lids, the CISO of Cisco CX Cloud. And we are going to be discussing quite a few different topics. We're going to be speaking about DevSecOps, cloud security, um, Larry's path of progression within his security career. And then, as always, we're going to take a bird's eye view on the industry um, and speak a little bit more about that. But before we do that, I should pass it over to Larry, if you could kindly introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Larry Lids. I'm the CISO of Cisco CX Cloud. Um, so uh, the role that I'm in, what I do is, is try to make sure that we're protecting the front door at Cisco that we have for our customers to interact with Cisco. Um, and really, as we we move down the path of trying to make our customers' lives easier to make sure they can get more value and um, out of the Cisco investments that they've made um, and meet the Cisco customers where they want in terms of the way they purchase things. So as a service versus, you know, kind of old school um, buying hardware and, and so forth. Um, been at uh, Cisco for about four years now, uh, three and a half years, I guess, is, is where, where I'm at. Um, and the part of Cisco I'm in, we are building a cloud environment on cloud technologies, AWS, GCP, and and the like. Um, so uh, excited to be here and excited to have the conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to dive into quite a bit. Um, you already kind of touched on the nature of your role and, and, and how it's quite focused on making sure that things are as secure as possible within these customers' environments. Um, obviously, prior to Cisco, you were in a vastly different role different role, different security environment. Um, I guess before we even jump into the nature of, of like what we were set out to talk about, um, over these last three and a half years, um, I'm always curious to understand the differences, right? What have been some of the things that you've experienced in Cisco that have been more exciting and, and, and maybe a, a different challenge than what you've seen in previous environments in your security career? Yeah, I started, and, and maybe a little bit of background in terms of my security career. I've been doing security now for about 25 years. Um, uh, started my career uh, at the University of Chicago. I built the security program up there um, pretty much from, from the ground up. Um, after having done that for a while, I, I decided to go do something completely different, and I started doing security um, at CNA Insurance, so a large commercial property and casualty insurance company, and was there for 15 years, the last seven or so as the global CISO. Um, and and then came over to Cisco. So so very different industries, very different perspectives on things, and very much intentional on my part to try. I love new and different things, and, and different industries are fascinating. Yep. Um, there's a lot of things that I find different and interesting about about Cisco. First of all, um, Cisco is built into the way the world works these days. The internet doesn't run without Cisco's uh, equipment. Um, we have a large variety of different types of technologies that people use, um, whether it's routers and switches or um, WebEx or full stack observability um, technologies. And um, the company is undergoing a pretty significant movement towards a, a to be more and more of a software company to serve, sell more things in an as-a-service model. Um, also, the company has um, really been through a ton of acquisitions over the last, you know, however many years, you know, decades. Um, 
And, you know, that leads to a very different security approach and a different security model. Um, also comparing it to the financial services industry, I would say the financial services industry, the focus is always on the bottom line. What is the way the, the um, large financial services companies tend not to make a ton of money by getting new clients and new customers, because to do that, you need to, to bite into the competition. And there's always a bit of give and take on that, that, but there's a big focus on running things efficiently and making sure that, that, uh, thing, things run efficiently and effectively from, from that perspective in a tech company, a lot of the growth that we see is by creating new products and new features and really a focus on expanding the top line rather than, than the, that bottom line perspective. So we're willing Willing to take gambles in investing in areas and doing things that enable a moving rapidly, um, even if uh, you know that that it may be inefficient in the way the organization runs. So, so Cisco has a number of different security teams. Um, mine is one of them, and um, that's not the sort of thing you would see in a financial services company, where where there's going to be one. Everyone's going to do things in consistent ways. Um, it also means the technologies we use and the approach that we use. Um, may vary from one part of Cisco to another. And that as a security person is always a challenge because the more um, distinct the technologies are, the harder it is to protect because you then start seeing differences. And even within um, individual teams, the area that my team supports, we may use multiple different technologies to do different things for different products. Yeah. Um, and that's intentional. It allows us to move quickly, but it makes it harder to protect. So it's just been a fascinating journey. Um, other thing I'll say, uh, Cisco has really, really, really smart people. Um, you know, the, you know, you think about what the internet is today and, you know, a lot of the people who came up with the protocols and the methodologies and the way that networking works, work at Cisco, still work at Cisco. There's an amazing number of people who have been at yeah. Cisco for, for 20 plus years. It's phenomenal to see. So it's a very different uh, culture and perspective from that place. Yeah. Um, and and a, been a fascinating journey. Yeah, 100%. Um, certainly sounds to be, and from what I've heard on the outside, I think it seems pretty well summed up. And I, I, you make a really good point, right? These different security teams and different like business units within security almost, but I, it poses an interesting an interesting opportunity for for the for various security practitioners because you can you can cross train with different people from other teams and learn ways of working and and different approaches to it. So um, it's challenging, but it's the good type of challenge. I mean, that's that's how I would see it at least. Yeah, we absolutely. And we strongly encourage people to look for other opportunities to move around um, within the, the company um, and, and do different things. When I joined, what, three and a half years ago, the security team that I had had about you know, four or five people on it. We're now about 100, give or take a, wow. a few on that. So we've been growing dramatically. And a lot of that is People who were at other parts of Cisco who wanted a different challenge, who wanted to do a different thing. Maybe they had spent a lot of time um, figuring out how to to secure network switches or how to secure uh, WebEx or something like that. And like, I want to do something different. Like, okay, yep. this is a new and interesting area. Let me learn. Let me figure that out. Um, and that internal movement is really, really valuable um, that people get to see the different perspectives and different backgrounds. And I think it's, you know, um, what is it they say? It's a, a one company, many careers. Um, and we really live that um, and care a great yeah. deal about, about supporting that. 
Yeah, it's well put. It certainly is going to help people. Uh, it keeps you on your toes, to say the least. And, and yeah, it's, again, just about that continuous learning. And um, obviously, in the way that you've scaled your team so much over time, um, that's a testament to the fact that you guys are doing it right. So um, hats off to you on that. Um, but but cool. I, I appreciate the context, the background, and kind of how you came up within security and, and where you are today in Cisco. Um, as, as I had mentioned when we, uh, you know, started the episode, the, some of the main topics I really wanted to dig into were going to be cloud security, naturally just tying into the, in, into your role and as well as DevSecOps, um, <laughs> at this point within the industry, DevSecOps is such a buzzword. You go on LinkedIn, there are 20 different people talking about it, but it's always in a different context. It means different things to different people. Um, so my first question for you, Larry would be. Um, to you, what does it mean in practicality? Yeah, I, um, you're spot on. DevSecOps does mean different things, different people. And, and maybe I'll take a you know, step back. If you think about the concept behind DevOps, the idea, um, and, and I'm intentionally leaving out Slack, I'll bring the second in a second. Yep. But the idea between behind DevOps is, is that you want to reduce the distance and distinction between the people writing the code and the people running the environment that it runs yep. in. Um, and you want to be able to enable stuff to get from a developer's desktop into production where customers are able to use it as quickly and easily as possible. Um, DevSecOps is understanding that inherently part of the responsibilities of somebody who is owning an environment and writing code is to do so securely. If they don't do it securely, then there are um, going to be weaknesses that uh, make the product un untenable. Um, at Cisco, we care a great deal about very, very high quality software, making sure we've got the right security in place. We set a very high bar for it. And that wouldn't be possible without having the engineers who are writing code on a day in, day out basis, thinking about security as part of what they do. Yep. Um, it also, DevOps allows the engineer to have, who's writing the code to have that flexibility um, and to be able to make decisions that around how it runs and operates in the environment. So it may be situations where um, they realize that they need to get code into production to fix an issue really quickly. And maybe they're going to skirt past some testing. I'm making something up and the, the system might crash because of that. But they're making an informed decision. And of course, they have the ramifications that they need to fix it if, if it goes down. DevSecOps continues that trend. The developer who's writing the code is responsible for the security of it. Now, in, in, in practical terms, we as a security team, what we want to do is make sure that we've got the right guide rails so they can't do something that's going to put the entire system, the entire company at risk. Um, so the goal for us is to figure out how do we get the right guide rails in place to enable them to, to have the level of ownership that they have, to enable them to be able to get, get that functionality into production and out to our customers as quickly as, as possible without driving off the side of the cliff. Um, so that's that's very much kind of the mindset that we take on it. And there's a lot of um, back and forth and a lot of different ways we look at that. And we refine that over time with, with conversations with the developers as to what works for them, what, you know, what, what doesn't. So it's very much a, a clear partnership um, yep. around how we go about doing that. So it's building that bridges and having those conversations that's really critical. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, that, that, that makes a ton of sense to me. And, and, and as you said, it's just kind of bridging that gap. Um, and, and from what I see, at least from like a resume perspective and from speaking with different people that 
that that hold titles that say DevSecOps engineer or architect or consultant or whatever it might be, right? There's there's different paths into it. Um, sometimes we'll speak to I'll speak to people that start within the development route and, and they start their careers DevOps engineers and then kind of learn the security piece. I'll sometimes speak to security engineers that that then um, you know learn learn the DevOps piece and it it certainly goes both ways. Um, within your function, are there people from you know, both types of backgrounds? Are there more people that start as a dev and then come into security, start in security and come into in, into the dev world? Like how how does that kind of line up? Yeah, all of the above and others as well. Um, we nice. definitely have people whose background was writing code and they're passionate about it. Um, we have people who um, come from like a cloud infrastructure, build out AWS accounts, make sure those are protected or make sure yep. those are set up correctly who do that. Um, one of the tenets of kind of a DevSecOps methodology and continuous integration, continuous deployment, CID, CD that you may hear about is yep. you start thinking about things like the infrastructure of the environment being code itself. Um, so the work that somebody does to secure things is often writing code. Um, they, they might be writing something in Terraform is one of the main technologies we use for, 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 for doing that. And that's different than... Um, maybe five or 10 years ago, where a lot of the work would be, I don't know, they log into a firewall console and click some buttons and, and allow, yep. create a firewall rule. Now they're doing that as code. Or in some cases, the developers writing that firewall rule as a code and a security person's looking at it to make sure that it's it's safe as, as kind of the review before it gets pushed into production. Um, so again, depending on the specific organizations, those roles and responsibilities can vary. And sometimes it can be both. Um, that allows the speed while making sure you've got the right protection in place. Um, I don't want to make it seem like the only skills that we need in the team are those like technical developer skills and so forth. That's clearly part of it. But, you know, we have folks who are doing awareness and compliance and market access and a whole bunch of other things that are not the kind of hands-on keyboard coding type type skill sets. Um, one of the great things about security is it takes people from any background, any perspective, and, and yep. people can be highly effective at it. Um, and that definitely holds in, in our environment. It's just different than it was, you know, five, 10 years ago when you were thinking about old school data centers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's going to continue to evolve, obviously. Um, I mean, I'm seeing, again, just tying into how often I'm on LinkedIn and, and just kind of seeing different people's opinions throughout the, the security community. Um, we're seeing all these different trends that are talked about. Um, what are some of the trends that you envision throughout 2024 and beyond that, that are going to be a lot more relevant this year than in, than in previous years? And then how is that going to tie back into your function? Yeah, I think if you go back, uh, um, back a few years, there were a lot of security people who were, um, afraid of the cloud. Um, yep. and they're like, oh my God, we can't put anything in the cloud. We can't trust it. And then over time, people started realizing actually like there's some real advantages to the cloud. Like, first of all, nobody's got the same budget that the big cloud providers do to protect their data centers and so forth. So there's some things right. that they're just going to do better than, than any, any company can do, but also there's methodologies and approaches. Um, if we find an issue in our code, we can get that, that deployed into production you know, in minutes if we need to, versus when it was back in the data center and you had dev and ops being completely different, it could yep. be hours to days to do that. So that trend towards DevSecOps and towards the cloud, I think is going to continue and it's going to continue at speed. I believe you'll start seeing some of those same mindsets and thought processes beginning to move back into to companies' data centers. 
Um, okay. And if you start thinking about like, how do you manage firewalls in a data center? Can you use the same DevSecOps methodology um, that you might use in the cloud to apply it to, to stuff that's in the data center? Um, we'll see as that goes, but but as a security professionals, you want your environment to be simple and easy to manage. And if yep. you can do infrastructure as a code and you can deploy that, and then you just have the deployment go to either an AWS firewall or a, a Cisco firewall in a data center, like that type of thing is going to be, be um, makes life a lot simpler. Um, so I think you'll see some of that. Um, I think that we're also going to be at a big um, turning point in in the next year around artificial intelligence and and large language models and the uses of those um i think you'll start seeing more ai function features and functionalities get into different products which security professionals will start using and i think you'll start seeing um security professionals beginning to leverage ai in different ways than yep. they have in the past um i also think the conversations around ethical use of ai and making sure that AI is being used effectively is going to end up being something that security teams um, aligned with AI folks, aligned with privacy folks, aligned with lawyers begin to have more and more conversations about what, what that really means. My yeah. guess is, is within 2024, you'll start seeing the first um, sets of uh, real world attacks against AI models um, wow. that are being used for nefarious purposes, um, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, 100%. Um, and with that, obviously, there might be new regulations that come into place, different, um, you know, ways of working to to try to combat some of the negative effects that can come come of it. And um, yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, the, this is the third episode of this podcast that I've recorded so far this season. And every time when I ask a leader about different trends in the industry, like AI, AI is going to continue to come up. Um, and, and for good reason, like um, it's it's such a powerful technology and um, obviously you want to make sure that it's in uh, the, the hands of the right people and it's being being leveraged the right way, right? Yeah, and I think the other thing is, is that, I mean, putting aside the, I mean, we in the security industry have been using AI for ages, right? That's what anti-spam is for all intents and purposes. Um, and um, I'm sure threat actors are using uh, AI as well to be able to find ways to, to, get, to get past things. Um, I think one of the big challenges that we have uh, as a society is, is that if you look at uh, ChatGPT and if you look at, at generative AI models, a lot of them um, are what I would say low to medium fidelity information. They can give you good information that may or may not be accurate. And it's a dependent on a person to, to vet that accuracy of it. And how that happens and what that means for society and what that means for the different use cases um, is still to be determined. Like if you're if you're um, using AI to look at logs to see if there's an attack going on that, that's meaningful, the AI only needs to, to be able to catch things that a human might not be able to catch, which is not, uh, not the, the highest uh, bar to get across because people are fallible and there's a lot of logs to look at and technology yeah. tends to be really good at looking at a lot of data and coming to analysis quickly. But if you're looking at it for things like uh, a bank trying to figure out what credit card rate to give, um, yeah. if the um, if the human would give rate X um, and the AI comes back and says it's a gotcha. rate lower than X, like the company now is losing real money because they've got the wrong rate behind it. So like there's things like that that we yeah. haven't figured out as a society yet how to use, but that'll that'll, that'll happen naturally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you loud and clear um, for like, I guess the right way to put it would be for doing various tasks and in, in, in 
I don't want to just say automating processes, but for making processes efficient, like, yeah, absolutely. We should be leveraging AI, but at the same time, we don't want to just use it point blank for knowledge because yeah, um, you know, there could be some information that's not a hundred percent there. And it takes that, that, that human intelligence to at the same time, verify what's true and what's not. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's totally reasonable and, um, makes a ton of sense to me. Um, but but cool. Um, that covers um, obviously what what I wanted to accomplish in speaking about different trends in the industry. Um, I, I I do want to kind of pull it back in into what we yep. were speaking about on the DevSecOps topic because again it's interesting to me and it's something that um, so many people in my network and the audience of this podcast are going to be interested to hear about. Um, obviously in any large tech organization you will have people that are hands on the keyboard technical and we kind of already alluded to it. We'll have um, people that aren't technical, um, even you'll have like, obviously Cisco is such a massive organization. There are going to be people outside of the security function that know nothing about security. So, um, my question for you, Larry is like, how do you create that security culture, but not just within the security team, but take that and broaden it out. So people that aren't hands-on security practitioners or developers, um, are able to buy into the concept of security. Yeah, the the good thing is over the last, I don't know, however many years, people understand the importance of security in a way they didn't before. You see companies which have significant negative financial impacts because they haven't managed security well. My experience is executives um, really understand security, and that's true whether or not it's at, at Cisco or, or previous places as well. Like They get the importance behind it. Um, that makes our lives as security professionals easier. Yep. Um, what I find um, has been most effective in my career when it comes to getting buy-in to that security culture, first of all, is to help people understand the important things is the outcomes that we get to. It's not about checking the checkboxes on a list and saying, I did everything the security team asked me for. Um, it's, you know, you as an individual are accountable for making sure that what you're doing and how you're doing things is secure. And if something goes wrong from that perspective, it's, it's, it's your problem. Um, if you if you're a developer and you write insecure code, even if a security person looked at it, it's still your code. You still owned it, and that's kind yeah. of the DevSecOps methodology and approach. That's also true for how people interact with and, and use technology. You know, if they're logging in and um, someone gets their password and and uses an attack to get past multi-factor authentication, like well, you shouldn't have clicked on that link that you clicked on or whatever. Like that's that's the accountability. Yep. Um, terms of the conversations and 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 so forth and and how to drive that culture um one it's really important not to talk down to the folks who you're dealing with um and to make sure that there's a shared understanding of the objective on that i'm also a big fan of frequent short connections and interactions so when we're talking about security um, and we're trying to get folks in the broader organization to be thinking about it and prioritizing it. What we try to do do is is within within my my area of focus and my my function is make sure that we are talking about it in bite sized approaches. That might be a quick okay. email. Um, we use WebEx Teams. Is not shockingly surprisingly. So it may be in a large or all organization room saying like. 
you know, hey, you know, everyone should be careful not to do A, B, and C, you know, whatever that is, or should do, you know, these other things like, hey, you use a password manager. Um, there's really good password managers. And here's the one that we we recommend people, people go and make available for people to use, whatever the specific to topic is. But those short, quick tips, I think yep. really resonate with people in a way that if you try to do an hour or two hour long training session, you lose the audience and yeah. they don't pay attention to it. And yeah. meeting the audience where they are is also critical. Um, okay. I've been through in my career so many trainings on um, starting, you know, way back in the day, I'll, I'll use HIPAA as the example, trainings on how to protect health information. Um, back when I was working in higher ed, we, you know, that was the HIPAA came out and we had a large hospital associated with, with our, our, our the, the university and went through all this HIPAA training and the HIPAA training would spend ages talking about like, here's what the specific gets covered under, you know, the different sections of the HIPAA regulations. But it doesn't actually tell people what they need to know, which is much yep. actually and much simpler. We don't need to train them about the law. We need to train them that they shouldn't be sharing information in insecure ways and give them very specific concrete steps as to what they should be doing. So that's why I mean when I say meet them to, to where they are, make it tangible, make it bite-sized. And that's such a really good culture. Yeah, I like that a lot, honestly. And um, even if I just think about like my own organization and, and how we go about promoting security and what we do, um, it's it's always about bringing it back to, you know, the business implications of what you're doing. And and I really like the point on that bite sized piece. Make it understandable. Um, don't make it a long lecture. Make it, you know, organized information that somebody's able to comprehend somebody that's not technical and hands-on within security and if you can understand the real world effects um you're going to get more buy-in um i hear you loud and clear i think that over the last few years even in the five years that i've been in cybersecurity recruiting there's i i think people are more aware now people understand the importance of it um and hopefully that trend is going to continue to shift um, upwards more and more. So um, we're heading in the right direction, but um, certainly um, we're not fully there yet. So we want to continue to improve and do all we can, right? Yeah, I think the difference for security from other professions and other areas is that although we're getting better, the threat actors are also getting better. So yes. the more aware we make people, the more that we teach them about what the threat actors are doing, the threat actors need to change their tactics to be successful. They change their tactics. So this is not something where suddenly we're going to declare success and cross it off the list. We don't need awareness programs anymore. This is going to be a constant um, a constant approach. And by the way, I find that people really love hearing about what threat actors are doing in practical terms around attacks. Yeah. Like, and it really helps them understand like not just what to do at work, but also at home and how to protect their family uh, as well. Yeah, which is super important. It's it's a, a topic that I've um, briefly dove into on this podcast already, but just like, um, you know, personal hygiene within cyber, uh, personal security hygiene, that is so important. And um, yeah, like, you know, again, it's going to, with different threat actors evolving, it's just going to keep, um, keep trending. So I hear you loud and clear, um, and I really appreciate the context there. Um, we've, we've covered some good technical topics thus far, Larry. Um, I, I have a slate of general questions that I like to ask on this podcast as well, that, that Wonderful. won't necessarily tie into like the whole DevSecOps, CloudSec world. It might a little bit, but, um, but yeah, um, a few questions that I wanted to ask you, I'll start with one. Um, obviously as a senior security leader, um, 
you know, I would imagine there are different people at different levels coming into your security organization. Um, and we will have some people, the audience of this podcast that are going to be junior, just trying to get their first job within security. Um, what's your advice for people trying to come up within the security industry? How can they stand out? What do you look for in candidates that are, that are really looking to make their mark? Yeah, I, I think, you know, to your point, it depends a little bit on what part of their career is and, and how they, they go through things. I'd say starting out, like when you're first trying to get into, to the, into security, um, I would suggest having an open mind. Security is a very wide field. And there's a lot of different types of skills and different ways you can can use things. And the number of times where I've talked to somebody who has been thinking about their career and they said, I really want to be a pen tester. I want to act like the attackers and do red team attacks and get into the environment. Um, and as they actually experience security and try different things, they start realizing like, oh, like I didn't even know that there's a role <laughs> in security doing A, B, and C. Like yeah. I, I really want to do this instead. So keeping that open mind and trying to move around to the different aspects of security um, is I think a really, really, really important thing, frankly, for anyone anywhere in their career, but certainly at the beginning um, stages of the career, for sure. even in the mi middle careers, like we have have folks who, you know, have been long term um, security experts, managers, leading teams, and we try to shuffle it up a little bit, like swap responsibilities around different perspectives, different backgrounds, different eyes on problems really helps us. And that also drives to a desperate need in our industry for increasing diversity yes. so that we have the same level of diversity of thought within our teams that the threat actors do when they try to, to attack us. So I think that's you know step number one on that. Um, security is also one of those fields where so much of what we do requires building strong, solid relationships and communicating effectively about very complex issues. Whether yep. those are technical or non-technical issues, they're complex. So learning how to do that, spending time building your soft skills, spending time you know, um, learning how to communicate to, to people, understanding how to listen so you understand where the, the people you're communicating with come from. Those are all really, really important skills that you should be thinking about how you develop in parallel to the security domain expertise that you're building at the same time. 100%. Those soft skills are, are equally as important to, to a certain degree. Like, um, you know, if you're not able to, to communicate with colleagues, peers, leaders, um, in some cases, depending on the type of organization, customers, um, you know, like that could be a major detriment. Um, so I totally get that. It's really valuable insight there. Um, and, and just to go back to your first point, I really like that in terms of like keeping that open mind. I, I hear you loud and clear. I think that a lot of the time people looking to come into the industry, um, they, they see the shiny lights of the pen testing world, you know, emulating the attacker or whatever it could be. And, and that's kind of where a lot of people gravitate towards. But but there's so many other disciplines within security, starting within a traditional security operations environment, starting within the GRC route, whatever it can be, um, finding the path, seeing what you like, and then getting exposure throughout your career. Um, yeah, um, I I think that's 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 really important for people to understand, um, and and yeah, it's going to help create diverse security teams with diversity of thought, as you said. So I I appreciate that insight, um, and I was going to ask about some of the soft skills that we look for in people, but you already kind of touched on that. Um, <laughs> so um, any any anything else on the soft skill piece? I mean, we did we did kind of just cover that in the last. Uh, in, yeah, in the last I might I might add the other thing is. 
Um, security is one of the things I love about security is that because it's such a broad um, field that people can come to it from all different backgrounds and all different perspectives. Yes. Um, you know, and it's, you may have someone who was an accountant and yep. you think about like, what's an accountant have to do with security? Well, they're really good at looking at details, making sure things will actually work the way they say they are. Um, you know, one of the the top things I always worry about is getting overconfident in the controls we have and people who've got that background and look at it and say like, yeah, like it seems good on paper, but let's actually dive in and make sure the numbers add up. Um, not technically numbers in, in many cases, but the controls yeah, work yeah. the way we say they are. Like that's a really useful skill. We're yeah. talking about awareness and training, like that's communication skills. Yep. Um, a completely different background. Of course, we need people who have been developers or who have run infrastructure. Um, but it's such a broader field than that. Um, I, I think you know, even you know, coming from completely you know from liberal arts and uh, other things along those lines, there are, those skills can be very valuable. So yeah. spend time thinking about what what underlies those skills, um, what those soft skills you have, and be able to help pull that together into you know your application when you're looking for for jobs. And and it is also a really good differentiator when people can articulate that background and that perspective. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Do you have? And obviously, I I, I don't want to know specific names of anybody, but are there any cool success stories within your function or peers in the industry that you know kind of coming from that that route into security that's that that might not be traditional and and you've seen it work really well um i would say probably half the people that i have deal with nice. come from a different than a technical background both in my team and other security teams like when you actually start talking to people um what's their degree and how they do that what they they look for um you know, my previous company, we did a whole bunch of our new college hires because of the broader organizational need. There was a focus on um, business analysis and project management skills. So not Certainly. security skills at all. But like, yep. we're like, look, let's like, we didn't have enough demand for new new college um, hires, early in career hires that we were going to spin up our own security program. So we'll just look, we'll tap into that. Yep. And um, we had our entire e-discovery and forensics team where people had been through this program at a certain point. And, you know, so none of them came from the background and like forensics is about as technical as you get, like it is as detailed in the weeds, like yeah, understand yeah. what's going on. Um, and it was a huge success story because we were thoughtful around that. We figured out how to create the the training and the, the, the program to be able to support um, people gaining those skills. It wasn't that we were particularly targeting them to be in that part of the organization, but it's turned out that's where we had the need and that's what their interest was. And we were able to make a, a number of good connections on that. So not the sort of thing that you would necessarily uh, think of and expect um, you know, as to where that came from. And you know, when I say they were you know, in the, the early in career stuff, you know, some of them had gone to school training to be teachers and educators. And not, so it wasn't just people who were like, oh, I'm going to be a project manager, IT project manager um, who, who were in that. It was a really good, good program that led to some really, really smart people doing really, really phenomenally good work um, in a really complex, hard area. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was I'm really impressed with that. And it just always reminds me, keep your eyes open and, and don't yeah. prejudge things. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me happy to hear. Um, I, I mean, we, we always say it, but the overall sentiment within security is we need more and more security practitioners, obviously. So like, um, if we have anybody in the audience that's listening and might feel that they're too far in their career to to make a career transition and, and focus on something else, like let this be your, um, you know, your note and, and your understanding that it's never too late. Um, and, and certainly there there's a skill set that can translate in many different lines of work. So um, I think that's a really powerful message for, for us to communicate to this audience, regardless of who's listening. Um, thank you a lot for that. Yeah, I completely agree. I've seen people who have been well along in their careers and like, oh, security, that seems interesting. Let me learn more. And like yeah. they, the people who I think are successful are thoughtful about, you know, how to gain the skills that they they need, how to begin to think like a threat actor, but how to begin to, you know, contemplate like what needs to be done in those areas and are curious and have that um, learning agility and desire to grow. And, you know, they figure out how to use their backgrounds effectively to do that. So I think it's a, it's a great field for, for people uh, as a second career. Absolutely. Um, you and I are on the same page there, Larry. Um, well, well, this is great. Um, we have covered pretty much everything that was on the agenda. Um, I have one more remaining question, and it's a bit of a fun one. Um, obviously, as a security leader, um, you probably have millions of people reaching out to you, looking to do business with you from a sales background, a recruitment background, whatever it can be. Um, have were there any pieces of outreach that have ever stood out to you? Obviously, we don't need to name names or anything, but the worst outreach, or it could be funny, or just anything that comes to mind. Um, uh, salespeople who call my cell phone—that drives me absolutely batty. Um, you know, actually, salespeople who call me on the phone. Like, I mean, I was probably at Cisco for nine months before I found out that I've got a phone number. Like, I mean, it's just not the way people do business yeah. anymore. We use we use technologies like WebEx and you know we email and you know things like that, text in some cases. Um, but I did, you know, at one point, um, a, a salesperson gave, uh, who we were doing a lot of business with gave my cell phone number to a number of other salespeople, gave it to other salespeople uh, and it propagated. Yeah. Driving absolutely batty because I, you know, on that. Um, but I also think for, for sales folks, recognizing that when you get numbers from people, you should find out what type of number it is. And if it's their cell phone number, you know, maybe you treat it differently than if it was a work phone. Certainly. Um, I actually don't think that that phone calls are a great way to get new business um, as a, a salesperson. I think the best way is word of mouth from one CISO to another is to think about how you can um, how you can foster the relationships uh, from that perspective. Yeah. Um, the the on the recruiter side, I'll say the thing that drives me the most batty is um, when I get things that are very clearly form letters saying, "Hey, we have this job. We think it's a great fit for you. We're looking for an entry level person to do blah 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 in the security <laughs> field." And I'm like, okay. Yeah. okay, like if you had looked at my resume, you can probably guess that I'm not interested in an entry level position. You know, now if you had reached out and said like, "Hey, I'm," you know, like I want to know if there's anyone you have in your your um, in your network who might be interested in this, I'm That's much more likely to yeah. respond to that and 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 help out. Um, I, I want to make good talent connections for folks on my team who are looking for new opportunities or who I yeah. know from from past, um, you know, past things. So I'm always happy to to help make those connections uh, when it makes sense. Um, but I, I need to understand kind of <laughs> what it is, and you know, just randomly throwing something like that out just sets the the wrong tone from the get go. 
No, I, I can certainly understand that. I, I think just to kind of summarize what you said there, it's about the relationship building piece, good word of mouth, respecting the right boundaries. Um, and and that ties, again, that ties into the broader topic of what we were speaking about with communication skills and, and being able to read the room and just like understand the bigger picture. Um, and just like regarding the the potential audience for this podcast, like we will have hands-on security practitioners, but we're also going to have security salespeople listening. So, um, so this this isn't an invite, by the way, for a bunch of people <laughs> to, um, you know, do this and that. But at the same time, um, it's it's helpful for everybody to hear. So I really do appreciate that context, Larry. Yep. Yeah. Good. Cool. Well, well, this was really one of the more insightful episodes. I, I think we covered a lot on. Um, a technical perspective, we we covered a lot regarding some of the soft skills in, in the wider industry. Um, I really do appreciate you taking the time to hop on in the middle of the uh, or in, in the start of the year, because I know that's when things get crazy. Um, so, Larry, I appreciate it a ton. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our to our further collaborations, to say the least. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. I hope it's of use to the audience and they they have good uh, takeaways and things they, they've learned from it. Um, I'd say in, in summary, a few things for people to think about and remember. Um, cloud security is awesome. DevSecOps is a good thing. Um, good thing for you to build skills and start yep. thinking about and, and, and understanding. Don't be afraid just because it seems really technical. Um, if you're not technical and you don't want to be technical, there's great uh, careers and, and methods for, for people to be uh, awesome security professionals. And I could have a laundry list of people who I think have done phenomenally well in their career um, coming from non-technical backgrounds. So um, keep at it. We need as much help as we can. Awesome. Absolutely well put. Um, yeah, couldn't agree more. Again, I appreciate it. And we shall certainly continue to be in touch. Um, but I will leave you to it for now. Wonderful. Thank you. All right.